I feel like virtually everything in life is impossible. If not everything in life is impossible until you decide it is not. That is actor Scott Takeda, and I'm Lee Foster. You're listening to Action, the no-bullshit podcast dedicated to the pursuit of acting excellence. Scott has booked roles in TV and film, such as Nashville, Dallas Buyers Club, Gone Girl, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, and many, many more. To see a full list of his credits, check him out on IMDb. Enjoy this episode. From what I see, it seems like you've booked a lot of stuff recently. Uh, was there a tipping point in your acting career where you were booking stuff and then there'd be a long pause and then book another thing and then all of a sudden it just started to roll and you got momentum? Oh, wow. You know, probably Dallas Buyers Club would probably be it. Yeah. I was fortunate enough, right out of the gate, the second thing that I booked was um, a feature film with Sean Penn and Naomi Watts called Fair Game. Came out in 2009, 2010, something like that. And so that was the second thing that I, I booked, but my scene got cut. And then shortly after that, I, uh, I booked Little Fockers and my scene got cut. So, you know, it, it's like I'm, I'm part of these very, very large studio projects um, and my scenes get cut. So I had been booking, but as far as the industry being able to see anything and go, oh, who is that? It was probably Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah, and that was a really like amazing scene, perfect scene for your reel, perfect. Yeah, up to this point, it, it still leads off the reel. I'm, I'm hoping this year I, I'll, I'll be getting some stuff that will I can freshen up the reel a little bit and lead with something else. I think it's something that I – kind of struggle with uh, with my brand is um, I'm a banana, uh, which is kind of a derogatory term, but it's true, um, which is I'm yellow on the outside, but white on the inside. Gotcha. And so I struggle with the idea of kicking off my reel with something where I speak with an accent. Yep. Because most of the roles I get actually were written for white people. <laughs> and I just happened to book them. And sometimes they don't even change the name, so I'm Mr. Adams, or I just shot two weeks ago, I'm Dr. Brooks. Hello, I'm Dr. Brooks. I know it doesn't look like I'm a Dr. Brooks. I should look like a Dr. Inori or a Watara, but uh, I'm Dr. Brooks. So, that's, you know, so as far as my brand goes, it's something that's like, wow, it's a great movie, but I don't speak Japanese. Yeah, I, I can see how that would uh, be troubling, definitely. Yeah. Can you take us through the process of auditioning for Dallas Buyers Club <laughs> from the from from when you got the call to when you got the call that you booked it? Um, I happen to be pretty fortunate that I, I studied with um, a coach who um, has managed before. That's part of the reason why I had that uh, workshop with the LA manager, you know, back in two thousand four, two thousand five is that was his partner. So my acting coach brought his, his partner from Los Angeles in. And so um, I think, let's see, Dallas Buyers Club, that would have been two, shot in 2012. So beginning of 2012, he walked into a workshop and he said, um, guess who's going for an Academy Award? And, you know, we all threw out names. And, and then he said, um, Matthew McConaughey. And so we thought about that, and he's just sort of pointing out Lincoln Lawyer and just, you know, all Mud and all these films. It's yeah. like, 
So when I when I got the the first initial um, call for Dallas Buyers Club, you know, like every actor, I go on to IMDb and type in Dallas Buyers Club. I mean, what, what the heck is this Dallas Buyers Club thing? And you know, I see Matthew McConaughey. I'm like, oh, I wonder if this is it. I wonder if this is it. And you know, I looked up the director, and he had done Crazy and a few other films, but nothing significant. And really, a lot of the folks that were listed to this, you know, they had done really kind of cool things, but they were still kind of they they, they weren't that well known. And so, um, I. I think in that particular one, I was on location, so they allowed me to tape for the first read. And when I'm not in front of the camera, I'm behind the camera as a director. So uh, about a month went by. It's like, okay, nothing. It's like typical feature film. You read for it. A lot of time goes by. It's like, ah, whatever, moving on. And then I had just gotten back and landed in Denver at Denver International Airport and you know, there was a message on my phone and it says, you've got a call back tomorrow for Dallas Buyers Club. And I was like, what? And the only way for me to get to New Orleans, because that's where he was shot in New Orleans, was I had to, it was already at the airport. I had to essentially run to another gate and buy a ticket right there at that gate. So well, that's what I did. And I remember calling my agent and asking her, it's like, um, when, when does this shoot? And it conflicted with um, a, a trip that I was taking to Vietnam, Cambodia. She said, well, you know, at least go to the callback. If you have to turn it down, you have to turn it down. So, okay. So I go there, do the callback. And it was really kind of, I know your question was kind of about auditioning. It was really kind of very relaxed. You know, it was with the director. I'd done it a few times with him and he really kind of liked me and that was that. And then get the call like a week later that I had booked it and then they gave me the specific shoot dates and it was like right in the middle of my vacation to Vietnam, Cambodia, which was essentially a birthday present to my lovely bride. So I turned the roll down. I turned it down. And then um, I, I happened to, like some actors do, I happened to get breakdowns I cannot explain how or why. They just magically appear. And I saw, I saw that they were going out to New York and L.A. for casting this role. And my lovely bride said to me at the time, she said, you know what, are you sure you want to do this? Because she said, I would hate for you to sit back and think, well, I've really missed out. So I thought about it and I called up my agent. And I said, is it still available? If it is, I'll take it. Actually, no, I didn't say that. I said... I will do some research, and if 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 I can fly back um, for twenty five hundred dollars, um, I'll do it. Um, if it's four thousand, I got to say no. <laughs> so it what it uh, it was available. I accepted it. I looked at the prices of the tickets. It was thirty six hundred dollars. Thirty six hundred dollars. So I I. We flew to Vietnam. I was there for three days, barely enough to kind of get, you know, start getting out of my you know, jet lag. Then boarded a plane, abandoned my lovely bride in Vietnam, flew to um, New Orleans on Thanksgiving weekend. Um, I decided to go ahead and upgrade my flight to first class. So I ended up spending $4,000, What I said I would not, I would be like, that was the, nope, not going to do it. 
and shot it and then immediately flew back to Vietnam and then Cambodia with her. Tens of thousands of miles were flown in about a week period. That's a great story. Are you glad you did it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I was very glad. Um, I think, and like I said, it, it's probably one of those, those moments that kind of sparked it because I'm, I'm pretty sure I, that was part of the reason why I got the audition for Gone Girl is they looked at us and said, oh, this, this is a guy who did you know, Dallas Buyers Club. It's not the reason why I booked Gone Girl, but it's the reason why I think I got the audition for it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you like auditioning now? Do you think really any actors like auditioning? <laughs> I, uh, I, I interviewed a guy, I don't know if you know him, Michael Kostroff, and he said that he really likes it. And yeah. I'm to the point where I used to dread it, mm-hmm. but I, uh, I, I like it now, actually. I'm comfortable enough to, to enjoy it. It's not something I'm like, I wish I could wake up and audition even if there weren't jobs. But sure. like, I'm cool with it now. I, I happen to be pretty fortunate. I think every week I have anywhere from one to eight auditions. So I, I happen to be very fortunate that, um, and it comes and goes. That's roughly about it. Um, so it's 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 no longer something I'm out of practice doing. Yeah. Because of you know the the modern age and we can you know digitally tape things. Um, I'm able to tape a lot. Um, I, I enjoy the taping part of it because it's play. It's play. Um, I don't mind person-to-person auditions. It's just that there's so you know I live in Denver, Colorado, and I split time with Los Angeles, and there are very, very, very few auditions in Denver, Colorado. So for me, most auditions require you know an hour drive to the airport, anywhere from two to three hours of flight. Then getting out, getting a rental car, driving someplace, you know, auditioning, and then repeating that process to go back home. So it's an all-day process. I think that's the only part of it that uh, that I'm I'm very happy to do. I'm very lucky to have that opportunity. But you know, for some people in Los Angeles, an audition is two hours out of their day. <laughs> for me, it's all day. I think that's the only part of it that's I think a little a little. Um, you have to be in that mindset that this is what we're going to do. This is, this, is, this is how it gets done. Right. What is something that you see other actors do that you think is ineffective? It's hard to say. I, I've had the opportunity to be in the audition room as a director. So let me speak specifically from that point of view, putting my director's hat on. I think the thing that I see when I'm a director that actors make a mistake is thinking that there's a right way to do it. And, you know, usually when I'm the director and in the casting room, I, I, I you know, we, we, we know what our breakdowns are. We know what we need to be able to hit. And um, other than that, I'm kind of open to the ideas that the casting director has. For example, let's just say we need to find, um, let's say we need to find uh, somebody to be a marketing manager. Okay, so I know from that marketing manager, they, they need to be at least in their 30s, but they can be 30s all the way up to 70. Um, I know that we're leaning toward uh, female, um, but I'm open to seeing male, you know, uh, and I just know that because of the story that we're trying to tell, I need somebody 
who, who can be in charge, who can, who can be at a, they're at a critical juncture that the story is going one direction and this marketing manager is saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute, let's think about this. What if we tried this? And it, suddenly we, we go and we find our hero moment. That's all I need. And other than that, I just need somebody who can imbue that. And sometimes you see actors coming in there and they, they, they're so desperate and they're so, uh, did I do this right? And it's like, oh, 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 I don't want to be around that. I just want to, be, want to see you do your work. What, what, what can you uniquely do if you were the marketing manager? You know, you've got some unique qualities. Maybe you're quirky. I don't know. Maybe you've got a quirky marketing manager. Um, maybe you have a little bit more um, sternness to you. You know, maybe you've got a military background as an actor, and it's like, well, let's bring that forth. Maybe that would be wonderful. You know, we need somebody who's like, you know, no, this needs to happen. So I think what I, the, the mistake I see is is actors thinking that maybe the directors or the writers or the producers have some kind of vision that that it needs to be this and this and that. And really, we just want somebody who can serve the story. <laughs> and bring what's unique to them about it. Because a lot of times when we make our final selects, it's like, well, I liked her because she was, she was soft and gentle. And I liked him because, you know, he, he was a little wishy-washy, but ultimately came to the decision. And I liked him because, boy, you know, we, we kind of need some age diversity here. And I kind of like the fact that he, he plays well off of the, the lead. And that's, so it's like, <laughs> It's a wide variety, but ultimately they brought themselves to the role, and I appreciated that. That is awesome. All right. Which of your personality traits do you believe has benefited you the most in your acting career? Oh, uh, wow. A um, couple things. The first one's probably going to get me in a lot of trouble. It's, a, it's an overused phrase, but I, I think um, I'm, I, I, I love working hard. I love hard work. Um, and I think uh, this is not to say that those uh, I'm making judgment on pe on people that oh well he's not a hard worker she's not a hard worker. I, I think I, I think about when I was in high school. <laughs> I, I happened to be very lucky to be around a lot of really 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 smart people. We would have been the freaks and the geeks back then, but for some reason we we grouped together and we had our own little formed clique really just incredibly smart people. And probably amongst that group, I was near the bottom if you were to just measure pure brain power. <laughs> but I think I got as good a grades as them, um, probably because I was willing to work hard. You know, I, I, I like to put it that uh, this is really dating me as far as my age goes, but I didn't have a Pentium chip as a brain. It didn't work very fast, but, but I was willing to put in the extra hours uh, on a 286 chip and, 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 and could keep up with my faster peers just because I was willing to put in the extra hours. And I think that's kind of, that kind of helped put a nice little mindset to me that it's like, okay, this is going to be tough. Okay, well, let's just kind of put in the hours. And I think that's kind of helped serve me along the way. I think one of the things, unless you started in this pathway, a lot of people come into acting as kind of, well, I've always wanted to do this. I know I'm, right now I'm you know, a CPA, but I've always wanted to do this. So it's a career change. 
And so it's no different than if you are a CPA and go, I want to be a doctor. Everyone will know, okay, well, shoot, you want to be a doctor, you need to go to school, you need to get accredited, you need to do this, you need to meet the right people, you need to start at the bottom, you know, and you work your way up. And that's essentially what this is. So I think the personality trait of, okay, well, let's just roll up our sleeves and let's put in the hours has helped me kind of trudge through this. The other thing also, I think it kind of plays into this, is I process everything from the perspective of being a former engineering major through science and math. And I think there's this kind of, when I take a look at how to build a career, there's these logical steps that you need to kind of follow to eventually get there. And I think by just the way that my brain works, even though this is a creative, artistic endeavor, uh, just the ability to kind of break it down and not say, oh, shoot, how do I get from here to there? Right. And it's like, well, really, I just need to get from here to the next rung, to the next rung. I and mean, if you have a ladder full of 88 rungs, you don't think about how do I get to rung 88. You think about, well, how do I get to rung one yep. and then rung two? Yep. And so I think being able to kind of have that logicness, kind of as Mr. Spock, and just figure out, okay, it's just one at a time, yep. which I think kind of plays into this, okay, roll your sleeves up and let's just work hard. Right. I think that's kind of has helped me. Yeah. I, God, I relate to that so much because I get people coming to me all the time and they've never taken an acting class. They don't have any credits. They've never read an acting book and yet they're about to move out to LA. And I just think, like you said, you'd never run into somebody who, who's an accountant and then says, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a doctor. And, and you go, okay, so you're going to go to school? No, no, no. I'm, I'm just going to be a doctor. It's like, it doesn't work like that. And everybody seems to think it, not everybody, but a lot of people seem to think it works like that with acting. I, I get approached a lot on Twitter by folks who, who say, you know, I want to be an actor. What do I do? And uh, thank goodness Twitter, at least for direct messaging, has allowed for more than 140 characters. <laughs> and uh, I, I got one person who said, I just quit my job so I can do this. And it's like, oh, God, why did you do that? And that was actually what I wrote. Oh, my God, why did you do that? <laughs> you know, and I, I, again, part of this kind of logic thing I think has helped serve me is, you know, and I remember going into a casting director workshop and the casting director was laid it out very simply. There's a there's a hundred thousand just in Los Angeles, there's a hundred thousand SAG after actors. Of that hundred thousand, only ten thousand are making a living a hundred percent doing this. Right. The working wage or whatever they call it. Yeah. Yep. So so you can put them in the professional class. And of course within that there's that small hundred that are like Tom Hanks, you know, you know, it's it's the point zero one percenters if you want to call it. Um, and so um, it's it's the it's the ninety percent that needs some kind of supplemental income, and it's why there's the joke every waiter in, in Los Angeles is an actor, you know, trying to make it. And 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 so to understand that this is a long process, and there's little steps along the way. You know, just just last year I I achieved SAG health insurance, and for. You know your listeners out there. That's that that the minimum minimums have changed, but essentially between your 
your earnings by bookings and your earnings through residuals, you need to have earned $16,000 within a kind of a 12-month period. And um, if, you, if you do that, then you get the lowest rung of SAG health insurance, which is amazing. Holy cow. That's unbelievable. I used to work for General Electric. Uh, one of the largest corporations in the world, and I thought that was really amazing health insurance. SAG health insurance is better. Really? I need to get on that because I turned mine down. Oh, you did? Yeah, I turned it down because I looked at it and it was like, I don't remember, this was a while ago. I looked at it and I was like, it doesn't look good. Shit, I got to get on that. Yeah, it's it's because um, I was paying for my lovely bride and myself, I was paying about $1,000 a month for $6,000 or $7,000 deductible. So it's basically disaster insurance. If you get hit by a truck, you pay $7,000 and then it kicks in. Uh, this was, is roughly, for the two of us, a little bit more than $1,000 for the entire year. And it's a $500 deductible. Wow. I mean, it's for, for me as a business person, that's just a, like a $10,000 increase that I'm not spending on premiums. It's unbelievable. And then if you... Earn thirty-two thousand dollars within that period. You know, then you get tier one. So then you get dental and vision and all these other kinds of things, and you start billing toward pension. And so it's like, wow. The union is an amazing thing if uh, if you can get in it and you can book work. It is awesome. It is yes. So uh, we got a couple questions left. Scott, what is your favorite and least favorite thing about the business of acting? I, the, the favorite part that I have is that it's it's a it's, it's a unifying art form. I always go back to the fact that I think stories are what unite us. It's it's you know I'm telling you stories. It's how we understand our world. Um, I go back to cave people um, when they drew draw uh, draw when they <laughs> that's the correct term yes make, you know cave drawings and you know we were very fortunate to be in Roman ruins and and you could see actually see kind of their version of tagging on Roman ruins and you know from the beginning of time um, we humans have wanted to share our experiences it's actually what makes us human and so I think what we do is actually kind of noble it's it we, we are part of uh, an art form that is essential to our humanness so I love that the part I don't like, and it's only something that I've just recently started to see, is the politics. And um, I don't know if I didn't see it before just because I wasn't looking for it or I wasn't around it or whatnot, but it makes sense. I mean, politics are, anytime you get a group of people together, there's, there's going to be uh, this natural need for jockeying for position, for power or whatever. And... Um, it doesn't matter if you're talking about the sewer workers association. I just totally made that up, but you know, I'm sure within any kind of group of or organization, there's going to be this politics that goes on and it's no different within our industry. And so there is this kind of jockeying for position and this kind of, well, why did she get that opportunity? You know, why is she the favored one? And it's just there. And it's, I think it's human as well. <laughs> But I think that's the part that I'm, I'm I'm least liking about it. I totally agree. All right, Scott, thank you so much for uh, being on this show. Really appreciate it. Great conversation. Love hearing your stories. I got one more question for you. 
Okay. What is the single tip or piece of advice that you would impart to someone who is just getting into the business of acting and is sure that they want to make it their lifelong career? Well, the, 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 the one advice that I always impart is find a good acting coach. Uh, find somebody who is working with people that uh, are learning, you know, ask questions. So um, be smart. Um, and, and then I, the, the other thing is uh, what I loved about what you said is that, that you're sure that this is their career. And just understand then, then there's no finish line. You know, there's, there's really no moment where you so-called make it. I mean, there's moments of huge celebration. I'm sure Alicia Vikander, who just won, you know, Best Supporting Actress for, you know, The Danish Girl, um, some might say, oh my God, she's made it. I'm sure Alicia is going, um, that was really nice and it's so special, but um, I don't feel like I've made it. Right. And I, and I think our industry overall is full of people who, who don't feel like they've made it. I'm, I'm not... I, I, I'm not sure even Steven Spielberg feels like he's made it, you know. And so um, just understand that the life of an artist is this constant yearning. And, and that's normal and that's healthy. And this kind of unsuredness will probably be there your entire life and that you kind of want that because it feeds you as an artist and keeps you growing. And so I would say that would be the the overall arching long-term piece of advice that I could give to someone starting out. To learn more about Scott, go to his website at scotttakeda.com. Takeda is spelled T-A-K-E-D-A. If you like this podcast, please go to iTunes and give me a rating and review, and I will personally thank you in an upcoming episode. I'm Lee Foster. Thanks for listening.